Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. That's what's beautiful about the Coding Symposium is we kind of talked about how it touches your life, even if it ends up not your career. And as today's guest says, coding may not be for everybody, but a good knowledge of computers is certainly useful in almost any field. We'll speak with Leanne Grillat, Outreach Director at the American Printing House, about some of APH's ongoing programs to inspire interest in STEM fields, make people aware of the opportunities, and help them connect with mentors. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Leanne Grillat. My tip of the week is APH has recorded just about everything we've been doing since the pandemic. There is so much information at our YouTube channel. Please go. If you're interested about the camp, you're interested about the coding symposium, you want to see what we've been doing, go there because you actually can see the recordings right there of what we've been doing. If that's not enough for you, if you want more, go to aphhive.org. That's the APH Hive, which is asynchronous learning. Those are my tips. We have lots of resources for you, and you don't have to do it at our time. You do it at your time. Those can be very useful resources, and you certainly offer a wealth of them. It's been fun. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success. Let's start by meeting Leanne and learning about her role at the American Printing House. My name is Leanne Berlant, and I am the Senior Director of Outreach Services for the American Printing House for the Blind. Most of our listeners and most of your clients have visual impairments. Do you? I do not have a visual impairment myself. Wow. How did you get into the field? Well, I read a book in the fourth grade. I read a book called Follow My Leader, an unrealistic story about a boy who's 12. He loses his eyesight in a firecracker accident. And then he has a teacher come to his home and teach him this secret code called Braille and learn how to use a walking stick or cane. And he does goes on to to get a guide dog and learn how to use one. Again, he's 12. I really wanted to be that teacher that came to his house. I wanted to be that person. I did grow up with an individual um, who was deaf. So I think I surprised my parents that I liked blindness instead of deafness. And that was it. From then on, that's all I wanted to do. Tell us what your job as outreach director entails. Wow. I actually have quite a bit that outreach entails. It really has three arms. The first arm is census, counting students who qualify to receive federal quota dollars for materials provided through the American Printing House for the Blind. 
It's been going on since 1879, and I am the ambassador for the Act to Promote the Education for the Blind, which does that. It's a big part, but it's not the only part. The other part is our support and knowledge and training. For support and knowledge and training, we do that in two ways. First, we have a learning management system which allows people to learn at their own pace, asynchronously when they want, in their pajamas, in their home environment. And it's free because we're using federal dollars to create this learning management system. It's called the APH Hive. We also provide support, training about all of the products and services that are available through APH, as well as what we like to call craft knowledge for vision service professionals throughout the United States. This could be through a webinar in a virtual environment, or we could be visiting a college campus for pre-service teachers, or we could be visiting a group of teachers who wants professional development face-to-face. So those are kind of my three arms. So basically, the name American Printing House, which used to be American Printing House for the Blind, is historical, um, and it covers only a small part of what the APH does. This is correct. Definitely. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is the American Printing House's annual National Coding Symposium and their annual STEM camps. Well, Leanne, in the introduction, you told us about many of the outreach services that you direct, but today we want to talk specifically about some of the STEM opportunities and the recent coding symposium and what that was all about. So can you tell us what the coding symposium actually was and why APH got involved in that? The coding symposium started last year through a grant. We do receive a variety of them to support education for individuals with sight loss of of any age. The National Coding Symposium's aim was to reach our K-12 students and the professionals that surround them, including their parents or other individuals who want to support K-12 students, to learn about coding as a true career. And similar to how I read a book in the fourth grade, we want to catch these students young to get them thinking about their possible career path early because coding has great opportunities available for our students when they start thinking about what they do after high school. So that was really its intent both last year and this year is to encourage people to learn more. So we encourage our young folk to continue in this field. We have found though that it is not just those K-12 and supporters that are attending this event last year nor this year. We have a large portion of individuals who are adults who have sight loss who have joined in the mix. And I actually chaired one of those meetings last year or discussions, and it was actually quite interesting. We talked about a variety of topics about barriers to blind people getting involved in coding, what makes it possible, what kind of jobs were available. Tell us about some of the other topics that were discussed during this meeting. 
This year, we took a slightly different spin because why come back if it's not a little bit different? This year, we broke each day of the week, Monday through Friday, into a different area of coding. So our first day was all about just the beginning baby steps of getting into it. There's quite a few products from APH that help students gain some understanding of that, such as CodeJumper, CodeQuest, Code and Go Mouse. And we talked all about that that day. The next day on Tuesday, we talked all about the HTML language and we utilized that knowledge throughout that day. The third day, we were talking about Quorum a coding language that is built specifically for accessibility and actually is research-based. Thursday was Python. We had all about the snake coding language. And then our last day, Friday, was really talking about how coding is embedded in all sorts of areas. Each one of those days, we did a panel discussion where we talked with individuals who utilize these tools. Then we had a presentation specific for students an opportunity for them to learn a little bit about coding right then and there. And while the students were doing that, we had a second presentation happening at the same time built for our vision professionals to help get their students involved. We sometimes need to break those people up. They each get a different type of learning. And then in the end, we had a student activity presentations because we gave actual lessons ahead of time with the hopes to engage people with those lessons before they came to the coding symposium so they could share. And so that end part was presenting about sharing, about doing these coding activities. And I take it this was all free online and open to anybody who wanted to participate. You are absolutely correct. We wanted everyone involved. You mentioned that you had panels of panelists and speakers giving presentations. Now, I've actually seen the list of participants that you had involved in this, and it ranges from people like Pete, who had a job as a physicist where he did a lot of coding, and so he's got a lot of experience, but he's not so maybe well-known in the field of writing code, all the way to the guy who wrote JAWS. Can you talk a little bit about who your participants were? The presenters, age ranged and work ranged, was huge. We had a 14-year-old as one of our presenters sharing his knowledge of what he's been learning and how he's been learning code. But we had teachers who provide instruction. We had individuals that actually work at APH, such as Richard, who is a digital content manager and how he uses this information, computer programmers that happened to have a visual impairment themselves, but they started programming with a young age. So we had lots of different individuals involved. And that's really the beauty of this. We involved more than just one facet of a person who has some type of sight challenge. We involved anyone providing that support. It could be a teacher. It could be, oh my gosh, this person really is someone who can't see and yet did all of these different things utilizing coding. So I think that was one of the beauties this year of seeing a really nice range of presenters from all different avenues. So in addition to presenting actual information to the um, students and other participants in this symposium, 
every presenter was also being a role model, being an example that even if you can't see, there's no reason you can't have a worthwhile career in coding. Uh, yes, I would say we were heavily outbalanced in our presenters as a majority have some form of visual difference. I think it is great to make these discussion groups and the symposium available to everybody just to be able to see how important it is to know about some computer skills for blind people because computers are so accessible these days, it really puts people on an equal footing with their peers and colleagues. And in addition, there are tremendous careers to be had in computer programming for anybody and particularly for blind people because, again, they're on an equal footing in many senses. I definitely agree, including some of our discussions were around, maybe that's not your field, but knowing something about coding gives you an edge, possibly in the career you choose, even if it's not coding. To understand what's happening in that computer program you use gives you some understanding of how you might be able to say, you know, doing it this way is not accessible for me. Can we tweak the program? You might not be the one tweaking that program. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's partially what comes out of these symposiums is you may not be interested in coding, but there are many opportunities to take advantage of computer skills, both in your own job and knowing how to use your computer tools to do your work more effectively. And there are also other jobs in computing, such as managing programmers, managing how access is done, managing websites, etc., at testing for accessibility, testing for usability. You know, even people who work in call centers, they might not be writing the programs, but they're certainly using them all day. Definitely. Again, that's what's beautiful about the Coding Symposium is we kind of talked about how it touches your life, even if it ends up not your career. What do you think are some of the barriers to younger people learning more about computers and programming? I think one of the main things that I see as a barrier, and other people might see it differently, is that many of the vision professionals that surround our younger students, there's a high probability they did not choose that career because they enjoyed mathematics or science. I think the other thing is just the simple barrier of lack of exposure to realizing that these careers are accessible. As our K-12 students start indicating or naming the careers they want, the people around them need to encourage and, and talk about how they also can do these careers. We hear many young children these days saying, well, I want to design video games. And I think sometimes people come to mind that designing video games is a completely visual activity when it is extremely non-visual in the creation of the background. You need to know that background and you don't need sight to do it. What suggestions might you have for people who want to get involved in such an area? A couple things. One, depending on your age, some of the items that are actually available through federal quota would be stating to your teacher of the visually impaired or other assistants that you would like to delve into this and what is there available. Some of our more simplistic activities are accessible, whereas many of the more simplistic activities of coding online are not yet. They are just vision-based. And so to get some deep understanding of just what you're going to be doing, we have products to help with that. And that's purposeful. After that, looking at 
your role models of people who are doing it and getting in touch with some of them. Many of the individuals at the coding symposium were freely sharing information about how to reach them and others to build a community of people who are problem solving how to code. At APH, we have also been offering for adult consumers coding courses again for free taught by individuals who can't see to individuals who can't see to be able to gain more knowledge about how to code. You mentioned briefly some of the tools that APH has for learning such skills at an early age. Can you briefly review some of those and give people an idea of what those are about? Sure. CodeQuest is a free app that's downloadable and it provides uh, feedback on specific movements in virtual space to move an astronaut to its planet. And that's just a beginning of understanding of a structure that builds toward coding. Kind of the middle level, sometimes on equal ground of that one, is a tool called Code and Go Mouse. Code and Go Mouse is available commercially, but the commercially available one does not have braille nor tactile maps to help you understand. So if you're looking for a device that is truly accessible, you want to look at APH's Code and Go Mouse, which gives you tactile maps, and you're doing a similar activity, only this time you're moving a mouse that moves by itself. You're programming or punching into the mouse the steps you want it to take through this maze, it could be a simple maze or a complex maze to get to the cheese. Again, those steps and reasoning of how you're moving through is the beginning to thinking about coding. Right, a lot of coding is to learn the logic of how these statements proceed. You don't actually have to know all the syntax right off the bat to be able to quote unquote code in some sense. And these are fun games that give people a lot of positive reinforcement in the process. Perfectly. And, and what's really nice is the problem solving that you have to do when you put a bug in your own system is part of that process with these. And yes, fun and, and entertaining. And really, truly, while they're designed for much younger students, I can tell you for a fact, adults will enjoy playing these things. It's not just kids. Our third one is CodeJumper. This one starts moving you toward a computerized platform to understand block coding. Moving to this device allows a student to start interacting with some coding on an actual computer screen. So you want also your student to start being exposed to a screen reading device and be able to understand what's on the screen. And of course, my hope is you're also getting that refreshable braille under their fingers to have an understanding of what they're reading, not just hearing. Um, all of that starts moving into even simplistic uh, HTML code or quorum code, it gives you that bridge to help start discussing what's truly just in the screen and what happens. In addition to the National Coding Symposium and all of these other nifty tools that the APH provides, I understand you also run a STEM-related summer camp? We are new in the realm of virtual summer camps. This started because of the pandemic. So our first one is, was in 2020. And then we had a camp in 2021 where two of the weeks were STEM incorporated. Those were 
I'd say the biggest hit. Those were the most talked about by the students that attended these. And so we decided this year to do the entire summer camp program revolving around STEM. Wow. How many weeks is that? Three weeks, but there's more multiple camps happening at one time. Uh, depends on the week. So Uh, One of the things that we wanted to make sure that there was understanding for our teachers who are allowed to observe during this time, as well as the students who I call campers at this time, is to help them understand that STEM is more than a sum of its parts. When we say STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, it's helping people understand that the idea of STEM is that you're embracing the integration of technology and engineering into math and science and and exploring the typical occupational clusters of computer technology, mathematical sciences, engineering and surveying, natural, physical, and life sciences, that we're actually talking about the integration of those, not just separating technology out of the word STEM. So that was some of the pieces that we are trying to do this year. We're trying to incorporate problem solving, discovery, and exploration during these camps. They're one hour a day, for each day of the week, and they're all around themes. So for instance, our early kindergarten through third grade camp is the great STEM camp out. What we're going to be talking and figuring out, again, problem solving, how to figure out where we're gonna go camping, what we would have to pack. If you went camping in Alaska, you're packing very different than if you're packing for Florida. Uh, understanding how we make decisions about where you decide to set up camp. Do we set it up next to a river on a slope or not? What happens if you do? Kind of those decision-making and problem-solving, the beginning level. We have a camp built specifically for our students with vision loss that are pre-symbolic learners. They are still working on their communication skills. They could be adjusted about any age. These students are actually going to be working on area and perimeter and pictographs by learning how to tend a virtual garden, how to build the language of area and perimeter. If we're planting six tomato plants, how much area do we need? We need six plots. Oh no, the rabbits are going to come eat our tomatoes. What type of fencing or perimeter do we need around our tomatoes? Building realistic setting ideas about why We're talking about area and perimeter to students who are still working on communication skills. We have uh, other camps. We have a STEM camp on a desert island, and we're going to learn about how to build a waterproof container to send a message. How do you find a dry area to sleep? Again, practicing those decision skills. Our older camp is going to have a crime scene investigation camp. We're going to talk about skeletons and how science and criminal justice and law and forensics build together. If you find a skeleton, how do they determine how old that skeleton was? How do you figure out height by the length of a bone? And then we have a set of camps specifically revolving around that mathematics component. We're going to be talking about understanding the abacus as well as spatial relations and measurement. So it is our Oreos and abacai camp. We're going to construct Oreo cookie towers. Uh, We're going to figure out how we can calculate uh, one and two digit numbers fast and accurate on an abacus. We're going to engineer a popsicle stick river dam. So we're going to do a variety of things together that way. 
and we are having one STEM camp in Spanish. We're taking the STEM camp on a desert island. It's going to be done completely in Spanish at a different week. And this is specific to reach our Spanish speaking individuals across the United States. Definitely making sure we're putting an emphasis on our students in Puerto Rico who Spanish is one of the languages that they are instructed in. You know, and it's so great that you're being able to teach all of these important concepts and put it in a fun context. Because if you can convince people at an early age that STEM is fun, then they're going to be much more likely to pursue it. And it can be a very rewarding career. I'm looking forward to it. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about APH's National Coding Symposium and STEM camps and how to contact them. Well, Leanne, we talked a lot about Coding Symposium and your camps, and some of these may have passed already, but these are things that happen from year to year, I suppose. If people want to find out more and sign up for the next time these events roll around, how can they find out more? If you have uh, individuals who are interested in participating in camp as a student or observing camp, observers are welcome, uh, you can go to the APH website and actually type in the word camp. And if you type in camp at the search, you will find the registration for the virtual Excel STEM camp. So that's one way to be able to go about it. If you get tripped up in it, you can always email outreach at aph.org, which is my team's email, and we will make sure you get the right links. The Yes, the Coding Symposium is over, but stay tuned. Next year will happen. You want to actually go to a uh, another part of APH, we housed the coding symposium on the aphconnectcenter.org webpage. If you have a problem, though, Google is your best friend. If you typed coding symposium APH, you would still get there. So stay tuned for next year as we continue to build and grow. So everybody listening to this question should already know the answer, but just to make sure... What is the general website for APH? Sure. www.aph.org. And I suppose from that website, they can also find some of the products and services you talked about with a little searching around. Correct. Definitely. There is a search bar at the top that you could use right away. And do you also have a social media presence? We do Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, go tap onto us, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram. They're all at the bottom of our webpage if you want to find us. And as usual, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. Also, I want to remind people that if you're interested in finding some of the episodes in our complete archive of nearly 600 episodes related to science, STEM, computers, etc., just put one of those search terms in the search field on our website and you'll find those episodes along with show notes and links to the audio. That's it for show number 2226. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about using MathML with JAWS. 
Mathematics has been called the language of science, but how can a visually impaired person read and write complex mathematical expressions that are often written in a two-dimensional format? We'll talk with Ron Miller, Blindness Technology Products Specialist at Fisbero, about how the JAWS screen reader makes this possible with MathML. And we hope you'll join us next week to hear about that. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.